Hello. Welcome to the pilot episode of the Failery Podcast, where we take a step back behind now well-groomed founders and discuss their prior companies and projects to shed some learnings that you can apply to your business today. I'm Brandon Hendoko, and on this episode, I'm very excited to be joined by Eric Banholz, who is the founder and chief beardsman at Beer Brand, a company that sells products from beard oil, shampoo, and fragrances to redefine men's grooming. Prior to Beard Brand, Eric was also the founder at Wacomo, an e-commerce store that sold vinyl graphics that he designed. Along with the tangible lessons that Eric learned while running Wacomo, as well as the day-to-day of running Beard Brand, in this episode, Eric and I discuss finding success in a market with low barriers to entry, how powerful Reddit and other social media strategies can be in gaining and retaining customers, and the potential success of a fake ID company. Sit tight, get a notebook ready, and thank you for listening. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our friends over at Referral Hero, the all-in-one platform to design and run flexible referral programs that grow your bottom line. If you're tired of wasting money on Facebook ads or writing tons of content that never rank on Google but already have loyal customers, you should definitely try a referral program. The Dollar Flight Club grew its business by 13% and Holiday Pirates added 300,000 emails in less than a month after setting up their referral programs. The best thing about all of this is that you can get started in minutes with their no-code widgets and if you sign up today you can get 20% off with the code FAILERY20. Try it now for 14 days without any cost at referralhero.com. Once again, that's referralhero.com. Hello, hello. Welcome to the first episode of the Failery Podcast with your host, Brandon Hendoko. This is a podcast covering entrepreneurship, founders, and really just becoming a resource bank for founders to learn from other failed founders and, you know, getting them to be public about like insights about that they have and publicizing nuggets of wisdom about their failed businesses. Today, we have the ultimate pleasure of hearing Eric Banels today, who is the founder of Beard Brand. Hello, Eric. What's going on, Brandon, man? Happy to break your podcast virginity. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year as well. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to get started here. And I hope I don't butcher this because I did a good amount of research and just like feel free to, you know, pepper in anything that I missed or like any details that I like I threw out the window. But so you graduated from the University of South Carolina in 2003 with a Bachelor of Science in Marketing Managing and a minor in retail. And I know that you have like an impressive track record of like, you know, account management, design, et cetera, et cetera. And you were working in the industry five years before, you know, the macro problems of the economy in 08. And then that's when you started Wacomo or you started Wacomo in 2010, which was an e-commerce store for vinyl wall graphics or vinyl wall wall graphics. And then you eventually stopped that in 2010 before you took a job at Merrill Lynch. And I read that you were working at Merrill Lynch, but you know, the corporate culture and really just like them having you grow your beard out, which was like a huge part of your identity and wearing your beard, they couldn't, you know, match that to the, I guess the role of becoming a financial advisor. And so you quit and then you started Beard Brand to unite the subculture of, you know, the urban beardsmen that you met at like these conferences and the rest is history from there. Did I miss anything? Well, I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's truncated in about, you know, 10 years of, into of experience <laughs> into, in about 30 seconds. I would say, you know, I'm a master of failure, failed projects, especially before Beard Brand. I Wacomo or... Wacomo, I, I don't even know how you really even pronounce it. It's a made up word that I had okay. for, for that vinyl wall graphic business. It was just one of many projects that I had going on that never took off. And Beard Brand was really the first one that we found success with. And I mean, it wasn't just the facial hair aspect of working at the giant corporation, but it was, you know, a lot of small things that went into play working for the man. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and the beard was just kind of one of it where you just, you just didn't have control over your own destiny and control over the person that you wanted to be. So especially in those days, those early days, it was really frowned upon to have facial hair, probably a lot less so today than it was back in 2010. But yeah, that was my journey, man. You described it well. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, I understand that. I think there's some like comparisons to pop culture that you talk about, like, you know, Duck Dynasty, et cetera, et cetera. So I definitely think there's like a growing reverence for beard today. I guess like just pivoting off of that, did you ever know that you were going to be with like, Wacomo, did you ever know you were going to be a founder or how did you, I guess, navigate the path into, you know, starting your own company? Yeah, I always imagined myself as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a founder. I think that was part of my identity. And I remember going all the way back to like 
third or fourth grade when I tried to start up a, a small little business with one of my classmates selling essentially like pixie sticks to our classmates. And that's my first memory of entrepreneurship. My grandparents, they owned a bar and pub in Philadelphia. And I remember going up there and just kind of loved the fact that, I mean, their own business was their own, you know, like for lack of better terms. And then I had a little bit of more exposure with my dad for a period of time. He was an executive recruiter and just kind of did his own thing through his own business, kind of exchanging his time for money. So I always had influences of entrepreneurship. And really in those early days from, I would say from really like 2004 until about 2000, well, until Beard Brand started 2012, 2013, I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what those first steps were. I didn't really know what it meant to be an entrepreneur. I thought it was simply, you go to the secretary of the state, you file your paperwork, you come up with a name, you buy the domain, and all of a sudden, you know, you have a business, you're a business owner. And for me, a lot of my projects just kind of stopped there. You know, it's like, okay, wow, I created my business. I've got my LLC, you know, I'm officially entrepreneur now. And then I realized like, you know, as those projects failed, I realized that's not what entrepreneurship is about. It's not about the name. It's not about the idea. It's not about, you know, getting the LLC and filing all the paperwork and, you know, reporting your taxes to the government. It's something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I really like that. I think like also something to like add is that a lot of times today, lots of people, you know, buy their domain before they really just like set up everything. So like, I feel like it's definitely, there's no clear path to like entrepreneurship. I guess, what would you say entrepreneurship is to you? Or like you talk about like it being completely different. What would you say it's like? Yeah. I mean, the best way for me to sum it up in my years of failure and success is business is simply a series of problems that you need to know how to identify, prioritize, and solve. And then the valuation of your business is essentially all the problems that have been solved by that business. So when you think about entrepreneurship in the early days, probably your number one problem is you have no customers. So until you can solve that problem, you don't move on to anything else. And then once you solve the problem of having customers, typically that opens up new problems like you're running out of stock or, well, I mean, that's usually it. <laughs> so in those early days, you sell a bunch and then you sell out. So the first one you got to figure out is, is the marketing side of things. And then the second one is the operations. And I mean, that's all business is, is getting people to know about your business and then serving those people. I guess this is like more of a personal take. I saw recently that from, you know, eight years of having a beard, you just went and shaved it all off. And like coming from someone who's, you know, never had really like six or seven hairs on the face of like the beard that I call my beard. What's that transition been like? Or like, how do you like, you know, feeling the cold air on your face again, I guess? Yeah. I had a beard for eight years and I had trimmed it pretty short a couple of times in that journey, but I'd never taken a blade to it, never gone completely shaven. And this time I, I took it all the way down, including the mustache, which was a pretty big change for me. And I got to say, like, I prefer having facial hair. I mean, there's a reason that I started <laughs> this company because mm -hmm. I, I do love having a beard. I do love the feeling of having a beard and stroking the beard and caring for a beard or, or the less maintenance of a beard, you know, shaving for me is is not a fun process. It's not something that I, I want to do. And I recognize that there's some guys out there who love shaving. That's cool. Like I'm not anti-shaving. But yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of growing my mustache back out. So I'll be rocking the mustache for a period of time. And then I'm sure shortly thereafter, we'll have a beard growing <laughs> as well. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, I just like that analogy of, you know, taking care of it, growing your beard out. And like, I hope it isn't too hard of a segue to like move into like, Wacom or like, you know, like how you have to take care of your company and, you know, grow it out and like, I guess, you know, acquire customers and like just treat it well, like you treat your beard or your facial hair. So I'd love to talk about that. Like, how would you describe what Wacomo was? Yeah. So Wacomo, if you know my history a little bit better, I'm kind of like a, a self-taught graphic designer. I feel very comfortable online. It's a big reason that Beard Brand's been successful because I feel comfortable online. So at the time of Wacomo, this was probably 2008, 2009, and creating an e-commerce store was really like starting to get easier and easier. This was before Shopify existed, but Magento had just kind of come out and Magento at the time was like a super innovative platform. 
before Magento was this software called like OS Commerce. And pretty much like besides those two options, you had to build your own cart, which could be, you know, $30,000. So I was able to build e-commerce store myself and get the website launched and get the products designed and launched and get the manufacturing facilitated all by myself. And that was kind of like, cool. You know, like I was able to really get, you know, the foundation of the company off the ground. And I even got a little bit of validation. I, I had two products that I sold. And, you know, like I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't even get that far. They don't even get any products sold. But I think what happened was I wasn't really passionate for the products, you know, their vinyl wall graphics. They were kind of like these trees and these birds. And, you know, like if you've run into any like middle-aged mom, you've seen them before. They're, <laughs> they're on every yeah. house, every wall. And we had some cool designs, but they weren't really anything innovative. To be frank, I didn't have confidence in myself to be able to grow the company. You know, I didn't have confidence and you know, getting the word out there and talking about the product and doing all the things that I needed to do to to really solve that first problem, which was getting your customers. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think early congratulations for, you know, I guess crossing the chasm of actually selling products to customers because I know you're right where some people don't even, or they, you know, operate their businesses for so long and they don't even get to that fit where like people are like able to like put their money where their mouth is and really buy their products. So congratulations there. But yeah, a lot to unpack. I guess I want to, I'm curious, how did you get into graphic design or like you're a self-taught, you know, graphic designer? Was this something, you know, picked up, picked up in college or did you do this on the side or? Yeah. I mean, back when I was your age and we wanted to get into <laughs> bars, we needed fake IDs. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you just don't <laughs> find fake IDs anywhere, but we were able to just open up Photoshop and, you know, print out some fake IDs and then laminate them and you know, being a college town in South Carolina, we could just take it to the bar. And, you know, that was kind of good enough for them back in the day. So yeah, I got my start making fake IDs. And then after that, I was also a pretty avid gamer. I played a, a lot of Half-Life back in the day. And I was in, we would call them clans or just like teams. So I would build like clan forums and websites and, you know, just kind of play around with like different wallpapers and sprites and stuff like that. I don't really even know. It wasn't like ever a conscious decision where I'm like, okay, I want to be a graphic designer. I'm going to go learn this. It was like more of like, oh, you know, I, I kind of want to make a fake ID or hey, I kind of want to make this wallpaper or, you know, if I guess I need to use Photoshop. Let's go figure it out. And man, back in the day, you didn't have any <laughs> YouTube videos or any kind of tutorials, anything like that. So I remember just like the concept of layers. It just like blew my mind. I'm like, what are these layers? <laughs> so weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, you try something and you learn and you do it a really dumb way. And then, you know, someone else points out an easier way of doing it. And then you, the software gets a little better and you get a little better. So, I mean, really like entrepreneurship is a lot like my story of, of design is like, if you want to become a good entrepreneur, you just have to do it. And, you know, the first stuff that you create in Photoshop is going to be terrible. It's going to be absolutely horrendous. But you know, you get better, you try, you tweak, you learn. And the same thing with business. Like your first year of business is going to be terrible. You're going to make so many mistakes. It's going to be awful. Like, but the thing is like, you just try not to make those mistakes that will put the company out of business. And you just try to make it go further and further. And you just solve those problems as they come up. And then you're going to get better as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. Yeah. I just want to touch back on this or just ask a side question, but were these fake ideas ever successful? Because I know today or like the landscape today, I've hear from like also my college friends and, you know, oh, it's got a swipe or it's got to, you know, scan if like people like shine the light through it or something. Were these like, you know, these laminated pieces of plastic that you designed and I guess like Adobe something, were they ever successful? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't selling them or anything like that. But in Colombia, like they want your business. They know they're fake IDs, but they have like that. <laughs> You know, I looked at them and, you know, when the cop comes, the cop searches your wallet and they find the fake ID and then you're the student who's on the hook for them. So I remember one time when I went down to this bar, we had this one ID that said the kid was 20. And for whatever reason, my friend thought that would work. And the bartender's like, no, man, this is 20. You gotta be 21 to get in. <laughs> I'm like, hold on, let's go back to my room. I'm going to go print out a, a fake ID up. for you. <laughs> and then we're going to go back. So we did that. We went and we printed out a fake ID really quick, went back to the same bar, the same bartender. You know, he had just seen us. He just told us no, but now we had the fake ID 
He's like, all right, go in there. So that was kind of like the culture of, of Columbia in the, was it the end of the decade or, or end of the century and beginning early 2000s? It was just a lot more lax back then. No, yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely, not trying to, you know, inspire any future founders, but I feel like there's definitely a market for, you know, college fake IDs or something. Yeah, I would not, in, I, would, I mean, I, I want to trade money for that because then it goes from like you screwing over yourself to like, getting a felony or something. I don't know the laws. I don't encourage you guys to do illegal things. Yeah, we never talked about this. We never talked about this. But yeah, so like, that's really cool, you know, just like going from Half-Life Sprites, you know, making fake IDs to going into like starting your own business with Wacomo or Wacomo. And I really want to know about these, like, you know, these two or any stories you can tell about these two products that you sold. You know, what were the prints? How long did you go about like, you know, making the prints? And then who bought them? Or was it like, a family sale or was this like actual people who were interested in your stuff? Yeah. So the nice thing about Wacomo was I was also kind of tied in to the print scene because my previous job before Wacomo was working at a, a small commercial printer. So I had a relationship with this guy who owned a vinyl wall or, or a vinyl graphic business. So he was willing to cut the the products for me and then I would have, you know, like whatever margins I figured out to be, I had to have to look up my old Excel spreadsheets to see what the margins were, but probably like a 50% margin. I would double the price on them and then he would fulfill them for me. So I would send the order to him. He would cut them and then he would send them. And the first two orders I think were like family and friends. I actually think one of the guys for sure was a half-life buddy of mine. And then I don't know what the other one was. The other one may have been like my own, like kind of test order or something like that. And then, you know, kind of like the designs, I even found like clip art essentially is how I started with all the designs. I found some like clip art for the trees and then I just vectorized them and packaged them up in a unique way and did some like computer renderings to show what it would look on the website. And, you know, I kind of built out the brand. The logo was this little elephant and we were selling them probably, I don't know, I think it was like 50 bucks, 50 or 75 bucks, something like that. Yeah, that was such a long time ago. But <laughs> but I feel like what really stopped me was like I needed to like buy ads, you know? I needed to do Facebook or Facebook didn't really have ads back then, but I needed to do like Google AdWords to try to to get some conversions on them. But I just wasn't willing to put money into the business, you know, because up to this point, everything I did was my time. So I built the website for my time. I created the designs with my time. You know, I ordered like one sample from the vendor, but that was like you know, 30 bucks. And then I bought the vinyl as well. And that was like a hundred bucks. So I had like 130 bucks in for my business. And I just wasn't really confident enough in it to spend a few hundred dollars more to buy ads and and to do proper marketing to get the word out. Mm -hmm. This is like super, super interesting. Or like, this is such a great story to tell, I guess, like, how did you know, or like, what were the resources you used to, you know, hustle to get the website up? Or I guess, like, how did you know what Google AdWords was? And like, was this like your first ever website or was this ever like everything first time? No, like I had built a bunch of different websites in the mm, past. Sure, sure. Like I had my own personal website and I had a couple of fan websites and like, uh, you know, those clan websites. I had stuff like that. So I was really familiar with WordPress. I could build a WordPress website in, in no time. And then building Magento website took a little more learning curve for me at the time, especially Magento was like a freaking resource hog. Like it would crash. <laughs> it would crash all the time. So a lot of headaches to keep that running. Even when I wasn't doing any volume at all, it was crashing, which was kind of crazy. But yeah, it was just, I had the familiarity with hosting, how to set up like, you know, point your DNS. And, you know, to this day, that's been pretty, pretty beneficial in the e-commerce space to be able to utilize things like Cloudflare to be able to improve the website and of course give like additional security against like DDoS attacks and, and things that will take your website down. Yeah. And yeah, I guess something that's like interesting for me is like why wall prints? Did you ever, I guess, you know, the connection to your buddy who had like the printing company, but like, was there any other reason like you put into wall prints? Like, did you ever, you know, make posters in the past for college or did you ever like design anything that was close to like something you'd put up on a wall? No, not really. Well, I illustrated something, a painting, I guess, for my wife one time. That's the closest I could have gotten. But it really just came down to the skill sets that I had as an individual with 
with being able to do it all in-house. And at the time, I think there were a couple of companies out there, Blick, I think like whatisblick.com or, or something like that, where I kind of was inspired by what they were doing and thought I could kind of do my own version of it, like different than what they're doing, but pretty similar. When I look back in it, like my actions were really similar to to that of what I think a lot of new entrepreneurs do. And it's, they kind of take an idea from someone and they see someone who's been successful and then they try to do it themselves. And they don't really understand the why. Like I didn't really have the why. And and that was probably a big reason that that I didn't have the energy to, to keep going. There was no why. It was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and people like vinyl wall graphics. I want to make vinyl wall graphics and sell them. And you know, we see this with our company now, Beard Brand. These people like, oh, I listened to, to the Beard Brand, Eric Banhol's podcast, and he's making beard oil. He's making all this money. I'm going to go and make beard oil and make all this money. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. And like, they have no care for the product or care for the, you know, the customer or anything like that. And then they realize it's going to be really hard and they don't really like it. And, you know, in three months or six months, they get bored of it and they shut it down. And that's essentially what happened to me. And I think like what's important, the the lesson for me with Wacomo was, you know, or at least for me personally, I know some people are really good at just building a business and, and the product doesn't really matter. But for me, having a connection to that product is, is super important and having a connection to that customer is super important. Otherwise, you know, I don't know, you're just spending so much time and energy and effort, like making a difference for things that, that don't even matter to you. You know, it's, I don't know. I think there's no, yeah, more, to, more to life than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. I mean, I think it plays around this whole idea of like, you know, founder market fit. It's like you as like, I guess, a teenager, I hope, you know, like selling fake IDs or like, I mean, like printing out fake IDs and making up like half-life sprites and then like transitioning that into like a business where you're making vinyl wall graphics and you don't really have like the passion for it besides, you know, what is Blick.com versus, you know, beard brand today where, you know, you grow out your beard working and like you meet all these other like people, these urban beardsmen at these conferences and they have like things that are like honed to your passions. And like, that's something that you could definitely I guess, continue like looking out to do like for the rest of your life because like you just love it as a passion. So yeah, I guess the one last thing that I had to ask about Wakama was, do you think there is space for it to exist today? Like, I think we talked about it a little bit in like, what is Blick or like Blick Super Graphics. But do you think, I guess, with such a low barrier to entry and like people who just like, I guess can like pull out clip art or like, you know, teach themselves to design graphics. Do you think it's like a difficult space to break into or like, what do you think? I guess Blick isn't doing that people who want to do vinyl wall graphics can like break into if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I haven't really followed what Blick is doing lately, but I know when I was starting, they had a lot of licensed content. So they were doing like these Mario Brothers vinyl wall graphics, which I thought were super cool and interesting, whereas my stuff was just kind of generic design. So I think there's a saying that, that I like to repeat. I didn't come up with it, but there's always room at the top. So if what you're building, what you're producing is better than all the alternatives out there, then you're going to find success in the marketplace. So, I mean, a perfect example is like Harry's and Dollar Shave Club, right? They provided a better experience or a better value to their customers than what Gillette was doing. And all of a sudden, you know, Gillette's losing market share left and right. So, you know, the shaving industry is a little more, there's a term like blue ocean and red ocean. Blue ocean means like, you know, you're, you're growing a new market and then red ocean means market exists and you're kind of taking market share away from other people. So Harry's is in that, that red ocean where they're kind of taking away business from Gillette. But again, there's room there if you're good at what you do. And I don't know. I think that's what's great for consumers is, is always like the options of, of getting something that may be better than, than what they currently have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it also touches on like this new movement of, you know, direct to consumer where rather than I think I read an article like a couple of weeks ago where they talked about someone who is looking for like a mattress or someone who's looking for, you know, like a Gillette razor. Like they didn't know what the difference between like the mock Gillette razor versus like the dual Gillette razor. And like a lot of it boils down to like, I guess, like this simplicity in shopping where direct to consumers websites today like flourish because they, you know, Harry's or Dollar Shave Club produce this like one one razor for like everything and like i think quips doing it with toothbrushes casper's doing it with pillows etc cetera, etc cetera. 
But yeah, I think that's a great segue into Beard Brand. But yeah, how would you describe Beard Brand? Beard Brand is a men's grooming company that is on a mission to make the world a better place by empowering men to invest in themselves and to really look at the person in the mirror and love that person. And we do that through our content on our YouTube channel, the Beard Brand channel, as well as through our products by making class-leading products that they love to use and really help kind of like the outwardly person look as good as they are on the inside. So we want to help people tell that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Do you have any insight on you know what products you guys have or any way like you know you can help these men love themselves by like what are you selling? Yeah. So obviously with a name like Beard Brand, we sell beard care products. (laughs) Yeah. Our best sellers are going to be like our beard oil or our utility balm or our beard wash and our beard softener, which are cleansing products. But we've grown beyond the beard and we now have products for your head hair. So like your shampoo and conditioner, our sea salt spray. And then we have products that can kind of be used for everything, which are going to be our utility balm, which is an all over conditioner. And then our utility bar which is a all over cleanser and and you can even use it as a shave. So we've worked really hard to develop, in our opinion, like some quite innovative products. We kind of have a a mantra here internally, like in going back to like the, there's always room at the top. We don't want to make a product that already exists on the marketplace. We only want to make something that exceeds or performs better by our definitions than what customers can currently get. So we want to make the world a better place with better products rather than try to be everything for everyone and find cheaper ways of making things and, you know, just kind of like throwing out some junk with, with pretty packaging and, you know, just selling the brand. So we care as much about our products as we do our brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like it. And congratulations. I want to say congratulations. Last or 2018, you had like the Target launch. So yeah, I guess what was the process of like going from like, you know, I guess you guys started like an e-commerce store to going, you know, like putting your stuff on shelves. What was the process of that? And like, I guess, how have you guys celebrated the launch? Yeah. So we launched uh, early in 2018 with Target with our value line, which is our, our white line. All of our products, the base formulations are essentially the same. We just distinguish them with our fragrances. So our white line has kind of like value price fragrances. They're going to be a little more common to your nose. Whereas our gold line, we're using exotic fragrances, going to be more similar to a cologne-like product, but they all perform exactly the same. And for us, that was a really big thing for us to be able to launch in Target and get our product in front of a new audience who maybe doesn't traditionally shop for these products online. We launched in all their stores, which was pretty rad. And we launched with, I think it was four or eight SKUs, depending on the store and, and the size of the store. So there are styling balm, our utility balm, our beard oil, our uh, sea salt spray, our beard wash and beard softener, I believe, were, were the products they carry or have at least carried at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, congratulations. And I got this or like I just spliced it from the website, but you guys are currently a seven-figure company out of Austin, Texas. I guess, do you have any early customer stories or anything you'd like to share about, you know, your first ever acquisition or like your first ever sale and what that was like and how did you... What was the growth like from like, you know, year one beard brand to like today? Yeah. You know, it's funny before beard brand, I trying to get another company off the ground. It was called sovereignty and sovereignty was essentially like a freelance graphic design business, uh, build WordPress websites. My very first customer to sovereignty, I was designing some like banners or emails or something like that for this person who found me on, I don't know where they found me, maybe Reddit or found me on the internet somewhere. Craigslist? Oh, I think they found me on Craigslist (laughs) or I responded to an ad on Craigslist. Uh Mm -hmm. So they were my first customer for Sovereignty. I had no idea who they are. They they live in California. And then, you know, fast forward like a year or two years and I launched Beard Brand and I post about it on Facebook and we're connected on Facebook. And they also happen to be our first customer for Beard Brand as well. She ended up buying something for her son. So it was just kind of like, I mean, what are the odds that I have two different businesses and the same person was the first customer for both of them and I have no idea who they are or I've never met them in person. It's not like a family friend. We're a totally bootstrapped company. So when you're bootstrapped, you typically have more time than money. So that meant I was doing a lot of the time intensive things like blogging, 
interacting on social media, making YouTube videos, and trying to get the word out that way. I think we did a lot of case studies on Reddit, kind of telling how we were building the business and what was working for us and what wasn't working. And that allowed us to to reach a fair amount of people. If my memory's correct, like our first month, I think we did like 900 bucks. And then February, we did like 1400 bucks. And then March, we ended up doing like 600 bucks. And I thought the business was imploding and crashing and would never sell another thing again. And then in April, I think we did like 2000 bucks. And then May, we did like 4000. And then June, it was like 6,000. And then it just like, it really started snowballing. And I remember in like, maybe like November or December, we ended up doing like $75,000 for those months in the first year, which, you know, I was on cloud nine. And I think a lot of it was, you know, having the right product at the right time and with the right message to the right people. You know, I think Beard Brand was the first company to really take beards seriously. Before that, it was like a joke or you know, kitschy. I don't know if you remember anyone had in those sunglasses where the mustache would drop down and people get like mustache tattoos on their fingers. And it was just kind of a joke. Facial hair was a joke. And and we took it serious and we told them like, Hey, we're serious about beards and we're serious about beard care. And this is how you do it. And this is how you tell your friends and family that you're growing your beard out. And, you know, I think people really connected with that. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. I would be on cloud nine the same, but I'm just curious, how are you guys Or do you produce your own product or like, do you, you know, go into like the chemicals of like producing like beard oil? Yeah, man. (laughs) You gotta gotta make your own products or you're just like everyone else out there with a private labeled stuff. So we'll come up with a concept with how we want the product to perform. And we'll typically, you know, do a small batch formulation here in Austin. And then once we kind of dial that down to, to pretty close to what we want, then we'll work with our cosmetic chemists to dial it in for manufacturing at scale and then we'll produce it and then we'll test it. And then if it all goes well, then we do kind of like stable stability testing and challenge testing. And then, then we'll package it up and and send it out. Awesome. Awesome. It seems like you're just like, you know, in the nitty gritty and everything. I just want to touch back on, you know, you talking about like being everyone else. Um, I guess I have like, multiple like friends who are trying to break into, you know, direct to consumer space, whether it's like, you know, food packaging or like they're trying to make innovative food or they're trying to make, I'm blanking now, but it's like innovative, you know, products for hairstyle or like kind of like grooming. And I guess I kind of like to talk about that where it's like, I feel like a little bit of it is like very, very low barrier where it's like you can, I guess, enter the market as like a new solution to like, in your example, like, I guess like, helping people grow out their beards or helping people maintain their beards. What would you say, like, do you encounter these, you know, competitors on the daily? And I guess, what would you say is the thing that they don't expect coming into the market and then really just like when they hit the roadblock, they just fall? Or what would you say? Yeah. What's the largest challenge for like people who just like, I guess, copy what you guys do? Yeah. Yeah. There is a very low barrier to entry in our space. And we knew that. And it was a good thing, you know, because that low barrier to entry allowed us to create our company and start beard brand. And then recognizing that there's a low barrier to entry, you really have to focus on the other ways you can bring value to your customers' lives. So we do that through content, through packaging, through shipping speed, through customer service, all these kind of small details that surround our product that, you know, other people won't be. So, I mean, in a sense, like, yeah, people can rip off our products, but can they rip off our products and our content and our packaging and our customer service? And the answer is no, they can't. And we're just going to, you know, crush them. And maybe if they're going on a value play, you know, they can rip us off and then they'll sell at a cheaper price point, but then they're not going to have the customer service. They're not going to have, you know, all the education that we've put into the process. So when someone else comes along with a lower price than what they have, then all of a sudden they lost their competitive advantage. And that's just a race to the bottom with no margins. Mm -hmm. So you're only going to win that if you can do it at a a large scale. And there's also the risk that, you know, maybe this product doesn't have the scale to grow. You know, maybe the market's not big enough to support, you know, low price kind of slim margin type of company. And that's the risk that you got to take. So I think if anyone's trying to like rip off someone in the space, you really got to think of what are they doing that's bad. Because if your goal is to come out with the exact same product at a lower price, you're not going to win, dude, or do that. Like you're just going to get, you're just <laughs> no, going to yeah. get beat. Because there are real costs to the product 
that go into those margins, you know, and they're required to have a sustainable business. So unless you're just sitting on a cash load of money and you just want to have a hobby where you give away or you subsidize products for your customers, you can do that. But you have to do something innovative to be able to be successful, at least here in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. I'll admit that, like, you know, I'm a subscriber to Beard Brand Brand and like I'm in dire need of a haircut. I think I haven't cut my hair in maybe like seven to eight weeks just because college is like beating the life out of me. But I know, you know, I'd watch like hairstyles video of like, I don't know if you're familiar with like 360 GZ or someone, but there's like a lot of people who produce like hairstyling content and like I consult very, very deeply with those YouTube videos before I go to my barber and ask him what I want. <laughs> Yeah, man. We produce a lot of content very similar to 360 GZ. And yeah, we help inspire people and give them like, it's really like giving them ammo because so many guys don't know how to talk to their barbers. They're like, oh, I want this haircut. And it's kind of like, you know, a fit, but they don't know like the nuances of the haircut. And then they leave the barbershop all upset because they didn't know how to communicate the haircut or the barber didn't understand what they were asking for. So what a lot of our fans and customers do is they'll, they'll just simply take the video into their barber and they'll show them is like, this is the haircut I have. This guy looks like me. He's got the same kind of hair type as me and I want this haircut. And you know, that's some of the ways that we bring value to our customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and like, I guess when the vernacular becomes like, oh, like what number guard do you want? Or like, you know, there's like numbers in it. And like, I would say like, I agree where it's like, you know, the barbershop's like a two-way relationship where you have to tell him what you want and then like he'll execute. And like, if you don't tell them what you want, you'll go out like the barbershop leaving really, really sad. I've been quote unquote in a relationship with my barber for, I've been loyal to him for the past one and a half years. So I can assure you that he has my language down pat. I'm very, very clear that like there's a lot of other people out there who don't, I guess, know how to groom or like know how to talk to their barber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, there's some barbers out there who you know, maybe they're new, they're learning, and they're not able to execute on what the client requests. And, you know, we're kind of getting into to barbering and I could talk about this for a while. You know, the thing that you'll realize in business is like, you have certain skills, like I'm good at marketing and, you know, storytelling and designs, but I'm really bad at like systems and processes. You know, that's not really my expertise. And the same is true in the world of barbering. You can have, frankly, like the best person at fades, right? But then you put a pair of scissors in their hands and they clam up and, and they can't do the haircut. You know, so like they may be terrible at doing a longer haircut, but they can do a short haircut amazingly well. And then you get some people who are like pretty good at both. And then, you know, like I think being able to understand, you know, like if a barber can say, hey, man, like I'm really good at fades or I'm really good at this type of haircut. You're going to look best in this from me, you know, or I don't know. Like there's always that balance because mm -hmm. yeah, you, yeah. you kind of want a barber who's willing to do anything, but at the same time, a, a barber who's self-aware of their abilities and they can convey that to a customer is, is also beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. And like, just like the last question, or like just riding this tangent for a little bit longer, I guess in that topic of, you know, like barbering or like, you know, grooming and like the beard brand, like entire identity, I guess I'm part of this subset of people who, you know, haven't grown past, you know, six or seven hairs on their, on what I call my beard. I guess for people who I feel like, you know, think they don't need as much grooming as people with like lots of facial hair, I guess what are habits or products that you can think of or like what you can suggest to, you know, level up or like bridge the gap between being less and more groomed? Yeah, I mean, I think the answer to your question and the beard brain answer is I really don't care how much you groom. <laughs> Frankly, I have no care at all. Now, me personally, I found a lot of value in grooming. Like I found that it helps my confidence. I found that the morning routine of, you know, styling my hair, styling my beard, my mustache, and then walking out the door, it gives me energy. It gives me that cadence. I know how to, to tackle the day, you know, really like I get a ton of confidence from it. And I would recommend, you know, people explore grooming as a way to increase their own confidence and establish those routines, which are so important to having positive daily habits. For us and our customers, like, Grooming is that catalyst for a lot of guys. Like they'll start grooming and then they have that confidence. And then with that confidence, they'll start working out. They'll start communicating to their loved ones in a more positive way. They'll start becoming better team members and employees and bosses. And then, you know, ultimately, you know, they'll be healthier and happier and they'll live longer lives. But 
there's other companies like for some people that journey starts through exercise, right? For some people, it starts through, you know, their fashion, their clothes. For some people, maybe it's through like education and learning. There's a lot of ways for you to develop that confidence. So it really kind of comes into, you know, your own personal journey and what you're looking for. And and we like to just kind of be that journey for people in grooming. And then my words out there to anyone, it can be men or women, is like, if you get your grooming down and you get your fitness down, you, you know, you take care of your body and then you get your style down, you're going to be like, you know, so much more leveled up than 99% of the people out there. Like mm, most, most people just, they'll have their grooming down, but they don't take care of their body and they don't have any style or they'll have style, but again, they don't take care of their body or they don't take care of their grooming. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thank you so much. I hope this isn't too hard of a pivot from like where we were and like where we are now, but I guess we talked about it a little bit in like, you know, being passionate about like the things that you're actually doing and not just like replicating or just like entering a market where there's like low barrier and just doing what like, I guess the big name brands like just do. But what did you learn from Wakamo that you wanted to port over, you know, any learnings that you had from Wakamo as like a first time founder towards like your second, you know, company or second venture? that you, I guess, internalize within yourself to like build Beard Brand to the brand it was today? Yeah, and everyone's different. But for me, the biggest failure or the biggest change that resulted in success with Beard Brand that could have been success with Wacomo is, frankly, I can't do businesses alone. I'll get in a dark spot, I'll lose my confidence, and I'll pretty much just get bored and then I'll move on to some other project. I'm like your typical entrepreneur ideas guy. I'm like, oh, that's a cool idea. And then once I get the idea kind of set up, then I like to move on to the next thing. So by having business partners, they kind of help lift me up when I was feeling down and help make sure that I stayed focused with the vision and what we're trying to do and committed to the things that we said we would commit to and really like kick that kind of ideas guy out and turn it into like an execution guy with ideas. And I still struggle with that. I'm still an ideas guy and, and I still like get off on, you know, new things. But having a team there has really made a huge difference. So I have two business partners and yeah, without them, there would be no beard brand. There would be no success at all. So I would say, you know, really it's find some amazing people who you love working with, who are just as passionate and are philosophically aligned and, you know, help them up when they're feeling down and then they all help you up when you're down. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, whether it's like, you know, fake IDs or (laughs) I guess beard oil. Anything, anything, I guess, like having co-founders is great. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And I hope this is also like a hard pivot, but I heard that you took Beard Brand. I haven't seen the episode, but you took Beard Brand to Shark Tank. What was that experience like? Or like, would you recommend that to, you know, other entrepreneurs? And yeah, I guess I'd love if you could talk about like what that experience was like. Oh yeah, man. Shark Tank was great. We were on in uh, 2014, Halloween, 2014. If you haven't seen it by now, then I'm going to spoil it for you, but... (laughs) (laughs) We didn't get any offers, so there's no deal to accept or turn down. But they were generally pretty positive for me in the company. And they just didn't see the potential of the company, which I think is a fair statement, especially back then in 2014. It was still such a a new industry. I'd like to say that I've proved them wrong. But yeah, it was a great experience and a great way to get exposure to millions of people who may be interested in your product and your company. Yeah, I think you absolutely have proved them wrong. I read an article, but you talked about it, you know, being an emotional roller coaster. And at times, I feel like from the Shark Tank episodes that I've watched, a lot of like very, very promising companies like yourself is like are shot down where like they're, I guess, entering a new market or like the sharks don't think it's like a very good investment, but like they put out a video, you know, five or six years later where it's like, oh, these are the deals that we regretted on, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I guess that all taking that into like account, would you say that the Shark Tank experience was worth it? Like, I guess for you, like, you know, mentally. And like, I know you got like a lot of, I hope you got a lot of exposure from the project and like people reaching out from like Shark Tank, but would you say it was like all worth it for like a young entrepreneur to, I guess, put themselves out there on like that scale of like Shark Tank or like Dragon's Den or something? Yeah. You know, I'm a YouTuber as well. So I've got familiarity being in front of the camera. I've got thick skin from my gaming days. I've heard every slur you could ever imagine (laughs) thrown my way. So I'm the type of person who I could handle that, you know, and I've, I've got like a, a generally clean past, you know, like I, I had, don't have any like arrests or warrants against me. So I can kind of hold up to the the public scrutiny, I think generally well. 
you know, like for me, I think it was great. You know, I love being on stage. I love being on in front of the camera. My business partners, you know, I've got two of them. They weren't on the show. I think they prefer being more behind the scenes. So I can respect people who prefer to kind of step back a little bit. You know, since we were on Shark Tank, we had, you know, a million competitors come into the space. So, you know, you kind of have to be ready to fight the knockoffs and the generics who just kind of take your idea. And some of them are great business people too. But generally those type of people are, are never going to be as passionate about the product and, and about what you're building. But you never know. You never know. So there is going to be that risk if you're not quick enough to, to execute on your business. You could lose marketing opportunities. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing. What are the 2020, you know, I guess with a new decade, new year, what are your plans for Beard Banner? Like, I guess, what's the future? Of, can you let us in on like some projects or like any, any future projects that you think Beard Brand could like penetrate that you think are interesting or like, what's your goals for Beard Brand in the future? Yeah. I mean, the thing that I've learned over the past seven years is we've just got to get better at the things that we do well. There's still a lot of opportunity that we haven't captured in our current space. So kind of rolling out some new products in the similar space or just continuing to fill out our product offering. We pulled out of Europe last year and we want to start building the foundation operationally to be able to support a European distribution again. So we're kind of working on that internally. I don't know if we'll be able to do it in 2020 or not, but it'll come in the future. And then, you know, just recently in September of last year, we spun off our YouTube channel into two different channels. So I'm pretty excited to continue to grow the new channel and get that content in front of a new audience, as well as growing our existing channel and and hopefully creating some content that people can really engage with and, and build a connection with with the brand as well. Yeah, I'm very excited. I don't want to like harp on it too much. Like if you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. But is there any reason you pulled out of Europe in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes to us wanting to deliver an experience that is better than you could get from anywhere. And as a small bootstrap company, like logistically handling, you know, two fulfillment centers and, and the way that we were doing it and the products that we had, like we weren't a large enough company to be able to support that. We weren't doing the kind of volume that we could support it in a way that was to our expectations. And I know it's kind of like a disappointment to people in the market because they can no longer get our products. But there's just something as a small company with scarce resources that it's important for us to focus on the things that make the biggest impact to the business and, and allows the business to be sustainable for a long term. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited for Beard Brand, you know, 2020, 2021. And you'll definitely have me as a loyal subscriber. And like next time I go to my barber, I'll, I'll definitely show him a video. Yeah, man. And, and like <laughs> grab some of our shampoo and conditioner, man. It's the best shampoo and conditioner you've ever used before. So <laughs> definitely no beard, unbiased no, response. Yeah, yeah. No beard required. <laughs> if you're a dude and we've got products out there, I know beard brands in our name, but if you're looking to up your your grooming game, look at beard brand first. No, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not just saying this, but constantly I'm very, very much running out of, you know, shampoo conditioner, everything. So I might have to just upgrade to like beard brand everything, with or without me and my six to seven hairs on my beard. We'll <laughs> definitely appreciate all of them. But yeah, thank you so much. Is there I guess anything you'd like to promote or anything you'd like to use this platform to talk about? Yeah, man. If you guys want to follow me or interact with me, Twitter is my preferred one. So it's just my last name at Bandholtz. And then of course, Beard Brand. If you could do yourself a favor and <laughs> just invest in yourself for a little bit, I'm here to tell you that you're worth it. Beard Brand is a great resource for you. We've got all the content and information that you'll need as well as the products, of course, to take care of it. Or if you just want to, if you're an entrepreneur as well, and you want to see how we do it as a company, go ahead, subscribe to us, get our email newsletters and take our quizzes, things like that. And you can kind of see the beard brand experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Take it from a subscriber like me to know that Eric has definitely put out some great, great content. And before, I guess like, I hope this isn't like, just like eating into too much time, but you talked about Twitter and like, I'm gonna link a tweet below, like, like this podcast or like whenever we upload it. But I have this tweet from you from December 31st, so like just like a couple of days ago, where you talk about, you know, 2010 failed business, 2011, take a, took a job at Merrill Lynch, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think that's, I guess, takes a lot of character, takes a lot of balls to, you know, put out yourself and like put out the most public version of yourself. And like you've talked about in the past where you're a very public guy and like you don't want to like keep anything too like personal to yourself. I guess 
what would you say drives you to do that every day? And like, I guess for people who are trying to be more public or people who want to like put themselves out there more, what do you think? Like Twitter is a great resource, but how do you think they can like, I guess, follow in your footsteps to like get to the level that you are? Yeah, I love Twitter. And I know a lot of people will rag on it because there's a lot of negativity on there. But if you follow the right people and you get in the right communities, it's really an amazing platform. And I think, you know, just before that one tweet you mentioned, I have this other tweet and I'm going to read it to you verbatim, but it says, if you can't look back on old tweets and cringe at the things you've said, then you're playing it too safe. In a world of cancel culture, it's scary to possibly say the wrong thing, but I found that saying the wrong thing and having an open mind is the fastest way to grow. So for me, like being public is really a way to refine and fix ideas I have. Like if I have a business idea, I just share it out there with the world and people will be like, oh, that's dumb or that's great. And then based on their responses, I'm able to quickly refine and improve what I'm working on. So just by creating, it really allows you to grow so much quicker. And if you're holding everything in, then it's going to just take you so much longer to grow than if you put something out to the world. Yeah, I definitely don't think I've tweeted enough to, you know, cringe and look back. I've only had Twitter for like two or three months. But I, I hope to, you know, one day next year, I guess, get a, like a flashback memory of something that I'm like, I really, really want to delete it. But yeah, I definitely agree where you're saying like putting stuff out there, like just like talking to other people is like the fastest way to grow. And like, I think I love Twitter for that platform too. But yeah, if there's nothing else to cover, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Eric. Thank you so much for being my first show or like, I don't know what you call it for being. Yeah, breaking your, your podcast virginity. My pleasure, man. My <laughs> I wanted pleasure. you to say it instead of me. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. I'll link all of your socials down below. But yeah, thank you so much. And this was The Failery Podcast. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Failery Podcast. I've been Brandon Hendoko. And once more, I'd like to thank our friends over at Referral Hero for making this podcast episode possible. If you're looking to grow your business organically through word of mouth, make sure to check out their tool that'll allow you to create and grow a referral program within minutes. More than 7,000 companies are using it already, generating over 30 million leads, and now you can get it too for 20% off with the code FAILERY20. Try it now for 14 days without any cost at referralhero.com.